All right, well, let me, uh, let me open us up in a word of prayer, and then we will begin. Lord God, I thank you so much for this evening, and uh, thank you for this time that we've had together these Wednesday nights uh, to study uh, spiritual disciplines, to strive to become more disciplined in our pursuit of Christ-likeness uh, through these gifts and these tools that you have provided us. Uh, Lord God, may this just be kind of the, the first and early steps uh, of a lifelong commitment uh, to spiritual disciplines. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. So tonight we are going to, uh, I wanted to kind of finish us off for the year talking about one or two disciplines that we don't often think of, right? Things that, that don't really kind of follow the normal pattern of disciplines that uh, maybe we grew up with or that we've just kind of heard about. Um, and so the first one that I want to talk about is the probably everybody's favorite, <clears throat> and I say that sarcastically, uh, everybody's favorite spiritual discipline of fasting. Of fasting. All right, so uh, who wants to uh, take a stab at a quick definition of fasting? What, is, what do we mean by fasting, typically? When you stop doing, like, for me, um, I try to stop doing Facebook mm -hmm. for so long, and then in that period of time, I try to read my Bible or at least look up a few verses at the time that I would normally, like, oh, I'm bored. Right. Right. So yeah. So you you kind of stop doing one thing in order to provide time, you know, for uh, other more spiritual pursuits. Definitely. Anybody else? What's what's uh, maybe? I mean, that, that's right. What's a, anything to add or an, another definition? Maybe of fasting. Right. Traditionally, kind of uh, food is usually what's meant in scripture by fasting. We're gonna talk a little bit about how it's not necessarily limited to that. The principle of fasting can be applied in a variety of different ways. But yeah, specific, there's, there's a reason why in the Bible, typically kind of food is in view, right? But uh, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit about that. But um, I often tell people, um, it's, it's certainly, fasting can be more than food, but it probably shouldn't be less than, less than it. <laughs> and so, and we'll, again, we'll talk about that a little bit here in a minute. But what's, what, what do you think is kind of like out there in the ether, right? In the, in the kind of popular imagination, 21st century America. What, what is the kind of the common view of fasting? How do you think most, like if you were just pull some random person off the street and say, what do you think fasting is? How do you think that they would answer that question? What's that? Not eating, to pray. Not eating to pray, right? Yeah, so like skipping a meal or something like that in order to pray. Okay, good. What else? Just random person off the street. What do you think? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So that, that's kind of become a big thing. I've got a good friend of mine who did intermittent fasting for what Matt was doing it for like, what, three years or something like that. He lost a lot of weight doing that. But yeah, just so kind of controlling like when he ate and not eating during certain periods. So yeah. That so. It's so, always associated with medical tests. 
Right, exactly. So you, that's right, you can't eat before, that's right, depending on if you're doing certain tests or uh, getting procedures done or all those sorts of things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've got, I have to fast coming up for a procedure I'm getting done. And I'm not looking forward to that because it's like, it's a long time. <laughs> it's a long time. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for blood sugar, right? Yeah. So there's, you know, kind of medical reasons for fasting. There's weight loss. I, a lot of times I think, like, you know, I don't know if people still think this, but a lot of times the first thing I think of fasting is honestly not even in a Christian context, but I think of fasting like more kind of in a uh, Eastern religion kind of context where they'll fast for days and days, like the, like Buddhist or Tibetan monks, you know, will fast for days and days and days seeking enlightenment and these sorts of things, right? And so uh, what about, and so, you know, when, when we think of kind of these, these popular conceptions, these common conceptions of fasting, it helps us just kind of similarly when we talked about meditation, right? We, we've got to make sure that we're walking into this with a, a biblical understanding of specifically what we're talking about. Because the Bible mentions again and again and again about fasting, uh, the, the, the goal and the purposes of fasting. And so we need to make sure that we have a, a biblical framework and a biblical understanding of exactly what fasting is. Because the reality is, is that you would, be, you would be hard pressed to find a discipline that is more countercultural in kind of the day and age that we live in than fasting, right? We, we live in a, you know, a gluttonous, denialist, self-indulgent society for the most part. So the idea of denying yourself something is almost, com- you know, as, is about as countercultural as you can get. Not only is it countercultural, but it goes against kind of our natural instincts, right? Few disciplines go so radically against the flesh and the mainstream culture as fasting, right? So again, what's our, our instinct, if we're hungry, we eat something. If we're bored, we turn on the TV or we check the phone. If, you know, it's like, it's like we've, it's just instant gratification, you know? And some people think it's tied more so to technology and the access of information we have and our phones and these sorts of things. And obviously that's certainly part of it, but I think this is, this is a perennial human issue right, that, that we're constantly wanting to fulfill our immediate desires. And the idea of saying no to something, right, is, is, goes against not only the culture, but goes against the flesh. That's kind of what I'm getting at, right? That, that this is a discipline that is counter to almost everything that we experience. It's, it's, it doesn't go against, or goes, it goes against the grain, I think, of how we are, um, how we just kind of naturally approach it. Does that make sense? Mindy. I just, do you have thoughts on why it, I mean, yes, a lot of people associate it with food. Mm-hmm. But why, I just, I don't understand why it's just so, like, the food, I feel like the food is the main thing of fasting sometimes. Sure. And I just didn't see, like, even in biblical times, why it, like that was the biggest thing that you had to right do you see what I'm saying? 
Yeah, definitely. So why, why is food always so associated with fasting? Yeah. So a lot of it is, so yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and dive into that. So fasting has biblically and historically is, is tied to food. Um, and a lot of it is, some of it's kind of historical and cultural, but you know, sometimes we forget how odd of a time that we live in today. Does that make sense? Or at least let's say since the, you know, since, uh, since the last hundred years, even, you know, how, how weird of a time we live in compared to the rest of human history, where ac- access to food was significantly more difficult than, than it was. The preparation and consumption of food took a significantly larger portion of the day, right? So, uh, you know, you don't, even for, for what we think of as something as simple as lunch, right? Like it takes us, you know, five minutes to throw together a sandwich, you know, at any, almost any other time in human history, preparation of a meal could, you know, takes hours, if, if not starting the day before. Does, does that make sense, you know? And so, so part of it is significantly, historically, significantly more time is invested in the preparation of food. Um, also, historically, the practice of fasting wasn't this, well, I'm, I'm going to skip breakfast or I'm going to skip lunch. Historically, what is meant and what's really meant in the context of the Bible when we talk about fasting is like sun up to sundown, right? It's, it's a full day of, of denying oneself food. So that's, that's a lot of time, you know, that, that you're, you're freeing up. There's also, so, so that's kind of the, the historical kind of, kind of logistical reason. But I think theologically, in the, one of the reasons that food is so tied to, um, that, that, that food is inevitably kind of where fasting is linked, is there's a the, there's theme throughout scripture of this kind of, this, there's a theme throughout scripture of this, I don't think of the right word for it. Food is food is used again and again throughout the Bible to as a as a image of God's provision, right? God provides a garden for Adam and Eve, right? God provides manna in the desert for Israel. God provides food for his prophets as they're running in the desert and hiding from those that are seeking to destroy them, right? Um, God, uh, uh, Jesus, uh, in his institutes, essentially the first sign, the, the first ordinance of the church at a, at a meal, at a table in the Lord's Supper, you know, the culmination of salvific history that we see in Revelation 20 through 22 is the marriage supper of the lamb, right? So throughout, there's like this thread through the whole Bible that food is, is provision, right? At the same time, there's also a thread throughout the whole Bible that uh, gluttony, right, and the striving after, like, fulfilling your own desires. The, the Old Testament uses terms like, like sleek and fat and, like, almost always for the bad guys, right? And so there, there's also this kind of parallel thread through the Bible of those that gorge themselves, those that, those that, those that take in too much, of what God has provided, uh, that is that that is a, a, a sign of sin. That's a sign of lack of faithfulness, 
a lack of trust in the Lord's provision, these sorts of things, right? So, so food is, so not, not to say that it's, not to say that it's less than reality, but, but, but food is, is essentially a theological metaphor throughout the whole Bible of the Lord's provision. And, and if you, if you, you know, um, it, it's a sign of that provision, but the idolatry of it and the obsession of it and the taking in too much of it, the lack of moderation of it is, is also a sign of the a lack of faith, right? And, and a lack of trust in the Lord's provision. Does that make sense? So, so, so the, there's the historical reasons and there's theological reasons why in the Bible fasting is always kind of been tied to food and, and in church history, Right? Fasting is almost universally tied to food. Um, now, again, I'm, I'm going to kind of make the argument here in a minute that I don't think, it, I don't think that's all it can be. But I, I, think, we do, I think we do need to remember that, that that's the context of, of what Scripture gives us. Right? The reason I think it's not as, you know, I think fasting can be more than that is because I think today we have other things that we use there are other signs there are other symbols that we chase after that that kind of reflect that lack of dependence on the lord's provision does that make sense you know and so there are other things that we can kind of fast from um so so yeah that was a very long answer to your very simple question but i think that 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 kind of puts it maybe puts it into perspective so again a biblical definition of fasting right is a voluntary, so we're looking for our definitions here. It's a voluntary abstinence. I'm going to spell this wrong, but that's okay. Rebecca will fix it. <laughs> voluntary abstinence um, from food. And I'm gonna say or other desires. How how is how's it how should it be spelled? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh okay. That figures. You know what I'm trying to say, right? I teach theology not spelling. All right, so voluntary abstinence from food or other desires, right? Uh, uh, for specifically, for spiritual purposes. Period. Right? So this is going to be kind of our running definition for fasting voluntary abstinence from food or other desires for spiritual purposes. So this is what distinguishes fasting from like a diet, right? Like, biblically speaking, what distinguishes fasting from a diet, what distinguishes fasting from, um, you know, preparation for a medical procedure, right? What distinguishes biblical fasting from um, maybe even just, 
maybe even just kind of like 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 rearranging your schedule. Like I know some people will say, "Well, I'm I'm fasting from this," you know. As, you know, like no, you're not really fasting. You're just you're rearranging your calendar. Like those are two maybe kind of two different things, right? You're just you're doing the same things. You're just doing them at different times, right? But so again, voluntary abstinence from food or other desires for spiritual purposes. So the key here is voluntary, and obviously the abstinence, refraining from something, and then for spiritual purposes. These components have to be there for it to meet kind of the, the biblical model of fasting. Okay? So another definition, I'm not going to write this down, but just, just another way to frame it. Uh, one, uh, one theologian, uh, Richard Foster, he says fasting is the voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. So that's basically the same thing, just more words. All right. So let's look at what exactly does Scripture say about fasting. So if you have your Bibles, let's let's start. We're going to start with a couple uh, primary texts uh, in Matthew. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 16. So to a lot of us that might be unfamiliar with fasting, probably the most surprising part may be the reality that Jesus uh, essentially expects his followers to fast. Jesus just kind of assumes in several places throughout Scripture that fasting is going to be a regular part of his disciples' spiritual disciplines, right? So Matthew 6, looking at verse 16, similar to the beginning of, uh, so if you remember back in, uh, when we were talking about prayer, we went to Matthew chapter 6, and at the beginning of the Lord's prayer, Jesus says, and when you pray, da 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 right? So similarly, here in verse 16, Jesus says, and when you fast, right? So again, the assumption is there that fasting is going to happen, So, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Now, let me me pause here for a moment. That was loud. Let me pause here for a moment and make a little social commentary. Um, I would say, this is Joe Garner's personal opinion, so take that for what it's worth, but I would say that if you are voluntary abstaining from food or other, some other desire for spiritual purposes, right? If you're fasting and you have a four-paragraph Facebook post on the fact that you're fasting, you are not fasting. <laughs> because like, that, that's the equivalent of, of how... How, like, yeah, I've seen these posts before, and I'm making fun of it because I don't want you to do it, number one. Uh, I'm warning through mockery, but, uh, which Jesus does quite a bit, so it's okay. And, uh, but also, just because I think it's hilarious, because the, the, this is the modern-day equivalent of this, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others, right? So the ancient world, 
they would, they, one, of the, one of the things that they would do is, you know, that they would fast, they would deny their eating, um, and, and they would actually use uh, certain cults and certain, um, uh, the Greeks, certain Greek religions were really bad about this, but they would actually mark up their faces to look like they basically haven't eaten in weeks or months. They would use some shadow and different, I don't know, whatever it is you do to make your face look gaunt. Basically like movie makeup. Like think about like movie zombie makeup. They would put that on their faces to make them look like, oh, look how holy I am. I've been fasting. Because this is, and again, this is, this is, a, this is a cultural context clue that, that we may not be aware of, but it, it really helps because we, the same things happen today, right? But in, in, in the Greek world, that Jesus, even, I mean, you know, he's in Israel, um, he's um, preaching in the Holy Land, obviously not Greece, but Greek culture, it's called Hellenization. Greek culture was pretty much everywhere in the East at this point. And so even in Israel, even though Israel is Jewish, right, ethnically, culturally, they're as Greek as they are Jewish in a lot of ways, right? So Jewish religious practices, Jewish culture, is steeped uh, in what's going on in the background. And so one of the things that Greeks, uh, Greek philosophy has an issue with is, is, is physical, material things. Like the physical world is evil. Now this is not like the fall in Christian theology. This is a different, you know, in Christian theology, the world around us was made good and sin broke it. Does that make sense? In Greek, kind of this, this particular kind of Greek metaphysic, Greek philosophy, anything material is inherently evil. Those are two different things. There's a difference between broken and evil. And so a lot of Greek religion, not all of it, but a lot of Greek religion, um, you, the Stoics, right? Stoicism is, is, is kind of like this. A lot of Greek religion De, the more you denied yourself, the more spiritual you looked because you were denying your physical self, right? So fasting is not that, right? You're not denying your physical self because your self is evil, right? That's, that's what's going on. That's what Jesus is speaking about here in the text. That's not what Christian fasting is. And so sometimes I see on social media people kind of talking about their, I've seen this, this phrase, my fasting journey, and, you know, how painful it is, and, and, and how I'm so hungry, but I'm reading God's word, and Jesus will love me more now, and these sorts of things, right? That's, that's, that's literally what Jesus is saying, don't do that here, right? Now, I'm not saying you can't tell anybody that you're fasting, but putting it on social media is basically the equivalent of disfiguring your face, right, so that your fasting may be seen by others. So, that's, there's, there's my first soapbox for the evening. All right, so when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. In other words, they've already gotten as much as they're going to get, which is nothing, right? Jesus says in verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, the anointing and the washing, again, this is not to say that this is one of those, that Jesus is referring to a common practice of seclusion and prayer, 
right? So this is not to say if you're gonna fast, you have to anoint and wash. Hopefully you're washing every day. You know, deodorant will count that as anointing, right? But that, that's, this, is, this is more, Jesus is referring to a common practice of the time of, of seclusion in prayer, right? That's typically what one did. And so the, 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 the goal here, what Jesus is really digging into and getting at is that you're, he, number one, he's assuming that fasting is a part of the disciples' life. And two, that fasting is not a spectacle to draw attention to yourself, right? The fasting is between you and Jesus, right? It's, it's to grow and encourage your dependence on Christ. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Let's also look at chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Verse 14, then the disciples of John came to him, to Jesus, saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, so both are preserved. There's a lot going on here in this text. The, what I want to zero in on is verse uh, 15, right? Verse, well, verse 14 and 15, right? The disciples of John basically go to Jesus and say, look, we're fasting. Even the Pharisees, those knuckleheads, right? They fast. Why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus basically says, of course, they're not fasting. They're with me right now. I'm here. I'm present, right? However, the fasting commences when the bridegroom, when Jesus is gone. So again, Jesus here is assuming that part of Christian discipleship, part of following him, includes this practice of fasting in some way, shape, or form. Does that make sense? So the main thing, again, the main thing we want to see here is the expectation of that fasting. All right, let's look also in the book of Acts. A few key verses there, and then we'll move forward. But Matthew, uh, not Matthew. Acts. Acts chapter 9, verse 9. So this is, this is Saul, soon to be Paul, his experience on the road to Damascus, right? Verse 4, Saul encounters Jesus. Saul falls to the ground when he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse 5, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. And then skip down to verse 9. And for three days he, this is Saul, Paul, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So Paul's response to seeing Jesus Right? Paul's response to his salvation experience was a period of fasting. Right? Look at verse 13. Or not verse, chapter. Acts chapter 13. 
verse 2. It says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Verse 3, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And chapter 14, verse 23 And when they had appointed elders, so this is as Paul is basically in his apostolic office planting churches in uh, in this particular case, Lystra. Um, And when they had appointed elders, so he's setting up churches for them, in, in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they have believed. Right? So we see not only is Jesus expectant or is expecting his disciples to fast but we see in the book of acts at the the birth essentially of many of the churches that paul is planting we see fasting as part of not only paul's own personal individual spiritual experience but we see fasting as part of the um the experience of local churches as well okay So, we said fasting is expected. So, I also want to show you that fasting should be purposeful. Fasting should be purposeful. There is an E in there. I knew that. There we go. Fasting should be purposeful, right? So in other words, it's more than just the denial, right? So this is is one of the ways in which we distinguish biblical Christian fasting with more, you know, in our our modern context, kind of Eastern, like Hinduism, uh, uh, understandings of fasting, uh, but even in the ancient world, even more you know, Greek and Roman understandings of fasting, it's not just about the denial because stuff is bad, right? I mean, that's like if you talk to a Hindu, um, uh, if you talk to a Hindu or a Buddhist about fasting, that's, I mean, that's, that's a very reductionistic way of talking about it. But in essence, that's why they fast because stuff is bad, right? Phys- like food, physical matter is bad, right? And so that's, that's their approach to fasting. Similar to their approach to meditation, they may use the same word, but it's two very different meanings. So Christian fasting is purposeful, okay? So Whitney says, without a purpose, fasting can be a miserable, self-centered experience. And so that's kind of part of the irony is if, if you try to, to fast untethered from a, from a biblical Christian purpose, not only are you miserable through it, but it, it reflects and it kind of breeds additional self-centeredness, which is actually the opposite reason of what you know, we're trying to pursue in our fasting to begin with, right? So purposes. What's the purpose? What can fasting do? Okay. Well, one purpose... One reason we should pursue fasting is to strengthen 
prayer. Strength in prayer, right? Calvin puts it this way. John Calvin says, Whenever men are to pray to God concerning any great matter, it would be expedient to appoint fasting along with prayer. See, there's something about fasting that sharpens the edge of our, of our prayers and gives passion to them. So it's frequently be, been used throughout church history, right? When there is a special urgency about the concerns, uh, there, there's a special urgency about the concerns that we're praying for, then uh, fasting oftentimes accompanies prayer. And this is probably the most common way that at least i think historically in throughout church history the most common way that we look at kind of the historical devotions is that fasting is almost always coupled in some way uh with prayer so another purpose of fasting is make sure i got this right oh yeah it's to seek God's guidance. So again, part of this is, is connected with prayer as well. But part of trying to understand God's will, trying to know God's will, right? Fasting doesn't ensure the certainty of a clear revelation from God, but rightly practiced, it does make us more receptive to the one who loves and guides us. In other words, if as we are fasting, regardless of, you know, well, maybe not regardless, but if, if we are wise in what we are abstaining from, right, then we hopefully will limit and reduce the distractions that may be preventing us from hearing from God on a particular matter, right? So if, in other words, as fasting leads to prayer, so does prayer lead to guidance, right? Think of it like an equation, almost, right? Does that make sense? Any questions about that? Now, here's one we probably don't think about a whole lot, but we see it in Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, and you can also find it uh, practiced um, really throughout church history. It's actually uh, it's part of, uh, in, the, in the English tradition, uh, it's part of, it's in the Book of Common Prayer. It's, it's uh, kind of English church history. Uh, this is actually pretty common. But uh, uh, the one purpose of fasting can be uh, to express grief. Now, again, this is not something we often think about. But historically, this has actually been uh, a fairly common purpose towards fasting. So grief caused by events, other uh, than a death can also be expressed through fasting. Christians have fasted because of grief for their sins, right? So be grieving over your own sins may be one particular purpose behind fasting. Inasmuch as fasting can be an expression of grief, uh, it's never inappropriate for fasting to be a voluntary, heartfelt part of confession. So it's not only an expression of grief, like when sad things happen to you, but it can also be an expression of grief over your sin.
And again, this is connected here as well, but we can also fast to express repentance. Repentance is ultimately right, a, a change of mind, which is resulting in a change of action. Fasting can represent more than just grief over sin. It's also a signal of a commitment to obedience and a new direction. So even, even as we are fasting to express grief over our sin, we may also fast as a sign of a, of a, of a change of direction, of setting aside a sin or putting away a sin. So another purpose, I'm just going to put these over here. Another purpose of fasting is fasting in order to minister to the needs of others. Now this is one of the ways in which I think over time and maybe over a li- over a lifetime really as we are pursuing Christ as we pursue these spiritual disciplines one of the things that we're going to see and that's true not just of uh, not just of fasting but of all the spiritual disciplines as we grow in maturity as we grow in Christ likeness one of the things that we're going to notice and one of the things that you should see is that your spiritual disciplines not only help you right in your own relationship with Christ and your own fight against sin, but your spiritual disciplines also enable the maturity to serve others, right? So Bible intake, just as an obvious example, right? We Bible intake for ourselves, yes, right? We've, we talked about that kind of ad nauseum. We, we, we take in the Bible to, so that we may know what Jesus loves, what Jesus hates. We take in the Bible so that we know his word, his reality, his truth, so that we may pattern our lives after that. But while we know Christian maturity is beginning to set in is if we have all those things and our Bible intake helps us uh, counsel our friends, our neighbors, our family who are going through struggles and trials and sin well, right? That we are able to minister to others well because of our Bible intake. We're able to serve others well because of our Bible intake. Does that make sense? So... Spiritual disciplines as a sign of Christian maturity doesn't end with us. It, it, at some point, if you're actually growing in Christlikeness, it's going to turn outward as well. It's not going to stop being inward. It's not like, all right, I'm good. My tank is full, right? That, that's not how that works. But as you are becoming more Christlike, inevitably, the purpose, your purposes are going to turn external. And same thing with fasting, right? Should you... Fast for repentance, yes. Fast to strengthen your prayer life, yes. But as you mature in faith, as you mature in Christlikeness, your fasting should also become a mechanism by which you can serve others. So if we think about spiritual disciplines and fasting as kind of fostering just introspection and independence... We can look at passages, we're not going to read it right now, but we can look at passages like Isaiah 58, 6-7, where Isaiah is talking here about, uh, about fasting. 
But in this, in this, rather, in this specific passage uh, in Scripture, deals almost exclusively with fasting, God emphasizes here, again, this, that's Isaiah 58, 6-7, God emphasizes fasting for the purpose of meeting the needs of others. So as you are abstaining from food or abstaining from some other, denier, uh, from some other desire, you could use that additional time Use that additional energy to pray with a friend, right? Who's sad, who's lonely, who's going through a struggle, who's going through a trial. Does that make sense? You could use that time, that abstinence, or that energy, or that money, whatever it may be, whatever that abstinence has freed up in order to serve others. Does that make sense? Right? Again, this is, this is how we know Fasting is more than just the, the hypocrites marring their faces so that everyone would know, right? Because, again, eventually, all your spiritual disciplines, fasting included, if, it, if it's really making you look more like Jesus, at some point, that benefit has to turn outward, right? Turns into expression of service and love and these sorts of things. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. All right. And the last purpose is Whitney goes through a lot of others in the book. So when you read the fasting chapter, you'll uh, get a lot of these. I'm kind of hitting some highlights. But another purpose um, is fast to express love and worship of God. So in other words, fasting as worship. So am I saying that you should not eat lunch so that you can sing a, sing a hymn in your car? Well, maybe, I don't know, right? But again, don't, don't minimize worship to just music, right? Music is a mechanism by which we worship. It's just in modern church language, we mean one for the other, regrettably, right? But we can fast as an expression, in the same way as a song, as a prayer, can be an expression of love and worship for God. Fasting, too, can be the similar expression. Fasting can be an expression um, of finding your greatest pleasure and enjoyment in life from God. Right? It's a sign, in other words. We take the Lord's Supper. We take the bread and the cup as a sign of our being in Christ, of being a part of the church. Fasting, too, can be a sign. I'm using lots of emphasis. If, if I could verbally bold and underline, I would. But fasting can be a sign, right, of, our, um, of the reality that we find our ultimate pleasure and enjoyment, not from Netflix, not from a bacon double cheeseburger, tots, Dr. Pepper and Cheddar Peppers from Sonic, right? That our ultimate enjoyment and pleasure can be found and is found in God. It's a sign of that, right? And that's the case when we are discipling ourselves to fast. It can mean that we love God more than food or more than some other pleasure that we're seeking. That we're seeking Him is, that our seeking Him is more important than these other pleasures. 
So this honors God and is a mean of worshiping Him as God. In other words, one of the things that fasting does is make sure that your stomach, now, you know, literally with your food, but just your stomach in terms of the, the biblical organ of desire, right? The heart is the biblical organ of the will. The belly or the stomach is the biblical organ of desire. It's, it's, it's again, it's a sign that you worship God, not your belly. You worship God, not your desires, right? That you're willing to set aside a desire for the sake of God, right? In other words, fasting is a way of making sure that your stomach is not your God. So instead, your stomach, your belly, your desires is God's servant, right? You're not its servant. And fasting proves it because you're willing to submit your desires to those of the Spirit, right? So again, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a drama, right? It's, it's a theological, fasting is a theological drama. Just like the Lord's Supper, just like baptism, right? They're signs and symbols, they're theological dramas, they're means by which uh, we are able to express and God reveals His grace in our lives. Whether we are denying ourselves food, whether we're denying ourselves Facebook or Netflix or whatever that may be. Does that make sense? So, Last thing I want to say uh, before I give my uh, standard book recommendation uh, and then we pray. Um, this is one of the reasons I think fasting is important and I think should be a regular part of the Christian life. And I think it's one of the reasons why it's important that we actually build it into our calendar, right? And I mean that literally, like into your calendar. And so one of the ways, that, not the only way, but one of the ways you can do that is through the season of Lent, right? Now, so anybody familiar with that? We're in the Midwest, so you may or may not be, I'm not sure. You ever heard, anybody ever heard of Lent? You know what that is? Okay. So essentially what Lent is, where we're from, South Louisiana, uh, so this is, this is an, an old practice that comes from the early church, and it was really kind of carried through through the medieval church. And so, so it kind of, it has some of its, some of its history touches with Roman Catholicism. And so a lot of evangelicals uh, want to kind of punt liturgy and punt the church calendar to the ditch because a Roman Catholic got their cooties on it, right? But the reality is, is that the, 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 the season of Lent, you can trace back to the earliest days of the church and essentially, the season of Lent is the 40 days um, before Easter. So historically, Christians, now this is not to say this is the only time that you can fast, but historically, churches through Christians throughout history in different countries and different times, different places, took the 40 days before Easter and used that as a 40-day period of fasting. Now, obviously, they ate in that 40 day period. But typically what historically, what a lot of people did was they didn't eat again from either sunrise to sundown or, you know, as that, as, as that became a little maybe uh, overly rigid and turned into kind of more of a pharisaical practice, kind of what, what, what I recommend and what, what a lot of other modern Christians would recommend that, that do practice Lent is 
is using that 40 days to deny yourself of something that just, that it's not something you're necessarily gonna stop forever, but that takes up a ridiculous amount of your time. And so for instance, uh, you know, giving up social media for 40 days, giving up uh, streaming TV, giving up fast food, giving up coffee, your everyday coffee trip, whatever it may be, right? Again, your voluntary abstinence from food and other desires for spiritual reasons, but you're literally building that into your calendar that every year for however many years God has you on this earth, you've built into your calendar a season of fasting. Now, again, that's not to say that you can't fast for special reasons, right? But building into your calendar makes fasting a, uh, a real and important regular discipline in your life. Because a lot of times, particularly because of like Bible reading and prayer, we're programmed to kind of, and again, I'm not saying these are bad things, we're programmed to think of spiritual disciplines as things we do every day, right? Or things we do every week. Yes, right? Read your Bible every day. But there's also, there's more time than just day to day and week to week. There's months, there's years. And in the cycle of the year, why not build in this 40-day season uh, of fasting? Does that make sense? So I commend to you the practice of Lent in that regard. Uh, definitely not a Roman Catholic, but I do think it's valuable to build it into your calendar, right, in some way, shape, or form. Maybe it's not Lent, maybe it's some other way, but if you don't build it into your calendar, you're going to forget it. Does that make sense? Okay, all right, book recommendation. Is it A? Yeah. On fasting particularly, a hunger for God. Name of the book, written by John Piper. Probably one of the, one of the better single volume, kind of shorter works uh, on fasting um, that doesn't turn it into uh, legalism or some kind of, uh, if you press this button, God will give you what you want. I've read a lot of fasting books like that, regrettably. But Piper does a really great job of saying a lot of the same things that we have said, pursuing fasting uh, as uh, a means uh, of godliness. All right, well, let me pray, and then we will be dismissed. Lord God, I thank you so much again for this time that we have together tonight. I pray that you um, would take these words uh, that have been said very quickly and perhaps a little sporadically uh, about fasting uh, but they would be seeds that would grow in the heart of each of us here tonight, myself included, uh, and that we would strive to build in to our calendars, to build into our regular weekly rhythms and routines, seasons of fasting, seasons of denying ourselves um, uh, things in, for godly purposes. And Lord God, I thank you so much for your mercy, for your grace, for your love in all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys.